It's Tuesday, February 5th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Huawei, the world's second largest maker of smartphones, has been getting into trouble recently. Their CFO has been charged with fraud and violating sanctions by doing business with Iran, and they're also accused of stealing trade secrets from T-Mobile. Now there's a new report that the FBI conducted a sting operation on Huawei at CES. Matt Binder, tech reporter at Mashable, joins us for news of this FBI sting op. Next, the leaks are back at the White House. A massive leak of President Trump's private schedules for the past three months is giving us a look into how the president structures his day. According to Axios, who published the schedules, the president spends 60% of his time in unstructured executive time. Elena Treen, White House reporter for Axios, joins us for more on what the president does throughout his day. Finally, a couple of medical updates, one concerning cancer and the other about food allergies. First, cancers fueled by obesity are on the rise among young adults and appearing at increasingly younger ages. Next, doctors are surprised at the number of people developing food allergies in adulthood, the most common of which is shellfish allergies. My producer Miranda joins us to break down these two studies. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. According to the indictment, in 2012, Huawei began a concerted effort to steal information about a robot that T-Mobile used to test mobile phones. Joining us now is Matt Binder, tech reporter at Mashable. We've been hearing a lot of Chinese tech giant Huawei and all the problems that they've been having recently. First off, their CFO, uh, Meng Wanzhou has been charged by the U.S. government for fraud and conspiracy. They've also been accused of theft of trade secrets for um, T-Mobile. They were trying to steal parts of a little robot that they had that would tap on phones. They've also been long have long been accused of being a spy agent for the Chinese government, even led the president to say that we can't use any of their products. They're the second largest smartphone maker. They're the world's biggest supplier of network gear for phone and internet companies. So they are a huge deal. And there's this new report out now that the FBI conducted a sting operation on Huawei at CES. Matt, what do we know about this? Based on the fact that this small U.S. startup from Illinois, Akan Semiconductor, basically reached out to the FBI in 2018 after a few years of actually back and forth with a engineer at Huawei in San Diego. This company basically has this super strong screen product. It's called the Mirage Diamond Glass, and it's basically a screen that this company says is six times stronger and 10 times more scratch resistant than the current industry standard for smartphone screens. And so these companies are in discussion. And then finally in 2018, Huawei says that they are really interested in being the first company to get this company down for a deal, an exclusive deal. They just want to see some sort of samples of this product. So Akan sends these samples over to Huawei with very basic instructions. Number one, don't absolutely destroy the product when you're testing it out. Number two, please return it within 60 day time frame. And number three, because this product is made of this sort of diamond coating, it's technically covered by these US regulations called the traffic in arms regulations which basically are these U.S. export laws that deal with the exportation of material that can have some sort of military or defense application. 
and diamond coatings, they fall under these regulations. The reason those regulations are important is because they were told that those export laws mean that they cannot send this product to China. So those were the three things that this company said to Huawei. They send off the sample and then Huawei goes ahead and it doesn't listen to any of those three things. Right. That's when things got really weird. It took them like two extra months to return the product. And then when it returned, it was broken and there was shards missing. And this is really concerning for a con semiconductor because, I mean, they're making a new phone screen, basically a new glass or phone screen that's supposed to be nearly indestructible and it comes back broken and there's pieces missing. And this leads them to believe that, hey, maybe they're trying to steal our stuff again. They've kind of been in the news for that already. That's when the FBI got involved as well. They had a gemologist analyze the broken pieces and they said that Huawei had likely blasted it with a 100 kilowatt laser so that they can do tests on it and break it. So they're on high alert now. The FBI gets involved and uh, now they're starting to pour through all emails, phone calls, all this stuff. And they say, hey, you know what? We want you guys to wear a wire and go to a meeting with this person from Huawei so we can dig up more intel. And they did this all at CES. After sending the product back late, sending it to China when they weren't supposed to, and destroying the product, they uh, contact the FBI, and the FBI pours over these documents and emails, and the founder and their COO call up this engineer from San Diego, and they try to get this conversation going in December. From this conversation, she basically admits that the item was sent to China, but they, she automatically turns the conversation into, oh, well, we should still meet because you know, Huawei is still really interested in making a deal with you. Now, at this point, I'm not sure if Huawei, what how Huawei is going with here, if they, they understand what's what's happening on the other end of the phone or if they still think they have a, they still are actually interested with using this company's uh, product. And so with the FBI working with them, the founder and the COO of Akon go off to CES in Vegas this past January and they meet with the engineer they've been in constant contact with, and also a higher level Huawei executive, both of them, though, I should say, based in the U.S. Yes. And at this meeting that they have at a burger joint at the Venetian, it gets a little bit you know, tense because at one point, uh, the Huawei representatives actually make a comment. Uh, oh, uh, you think the FBI is listening in on this when they start getting things start getting tense about the U.S. based company bringing up the fact that Huawei took this item out of the country when they weren't supposed to. Yeah. And these guys are business guys. They're tech guys. They've never been involved in any type of intelligence operation or wearing a wire, right. or things like that. And uh, they even the, had the a funny uh, thing actually is that the background of these guys, the reason the founder of the company company even knew to go to the FBI when they received the item back broken into pieces, he even said apparently that, you know, he didn't know what to do. And then he recalled that a few months earlier, the FBI had been going around to, to, to startups in that industry, basically saying, you know, like on a, on like a tour across the country to all these companies, basically saying, be on the lookout for Chinese based companies looking to steal your intellectual property. And that's when it dawned on him that, hey, maybe I should contact the FBI about this. You'll be hearing more about Huawei. As I said, they're in the news right now. Lots of other charges going on. This could be something else that gets added on later. It, it's a just a crazy story. And uh, like as I said, FBI <laughs> using these two guys to spy on them at CES. Matt Binder, tech reporter at Mashable. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.
too much planning curbs his creativity and really crushes his entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that he really wanted to bring that to the White House. Axios was leaked 51 of his private schedules dating back to um, November 7th. Essentially, 60% of the president's scheduled time is devoted to executive time. Joining us now is Elena Treen, White House reporter for Axios. You guys there at Axios had the big scoop of the weekend. It proves that the leaks are back. They kind of calmed down for a little bit, but they came back in full force. Somebody leaked the president's private schedules, which was filled with a lot of this thing we now know as executive time. It was a thing that former chief of staff John Kelly introduced there at the White House. But tell us a little bit about what executive time is and then more deeply what was in the president's schedules. The president doesn't like to be overscheduled. And this isn't anything new. This is something, this approach to this like fancy free scheduling is something that the president talked about in The Art of the Deal. This is something that he's used as a businessman and he's brought into the White House. He essentially thinks that too much planning curbs his creativity and really crushes his entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that he really wanted to bring that to the White House. And we're seeing this now, these private schedules. So Axios was leaked 51 of his private schedules dating back to um, November 7th. We calculated all of the time and essentially 60% of the president's scheduled time is devoted to this executive time where it's really, you know, if you look at what the president does in the morning from about, he wakes up around 6 a.m. He doesn't have any scheduled meetings until around 11 or 11.30. And that 11 or 11.30 is normally either his intelligence briefing or a meeting with the chief of staff. And it's not that he's sleeping in or not doing anything during that executive time. He is, and we know this in the morning, you know, it's really early on when the president, he's likely watching television and he's tweeting and he'll catch up on some of reading materials that his aides bring to him. And he'll also call, whether it's, you know, senators and congressmen that he's friends with or just friends that he goes to advice for to see how things are playing out. I mean, it's a great chunk of time where he's really unscheduled. And if you compare that to other presidents, the time that he's spending in executive time is kind of unprecedented. You know, obviously the spin comes on both sides from the White House. They're basically saying, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on. He's doing tons of stuff during this time. And maybe it's something that they don't want leaked out. That's why it's not on the official schedule. What's the reaction from the White House on this? The White House and we, and we, of course, you know, like we do with any story, we gave them a heads up on this. And Sarah Sanders provided us with a statement. And others have told us, you know, it isn't he does do things and this is his nature. And this is why Sarah Sanders has told us that he's gotten more done. And this is, of course, up to interpretation, but he's done more than past presidents. And it's because of this is just his style. But I do think that people in the White House, we saw a lot of finger pointing speculation about who this could be. It's a bit similar to what happened after the New York Times had that anonymous op-ed by, we still don't know who that leaker is. And so I think it, it is that sense of betrayal almost. Madeline Westerhout, she's the director of overall office operations and she sits right beside the president's Oval Office door and she tweeted what a disgraceful breach of trust to leak schedules. And I think that's the sense that we've been seeing throughout the White House. Who would right. be privy to this type of schedule? It seems to be, it can't be in a, a huge amount of people. This, you know, it's communications Right. staff members, things like that. First, they release a 
scheduled to the media that is a much more slimmed down schedule than what we this private one that we publish. And that's, you know, it shows maybe has an intelligence briefing, he has a meeting with Vice President Mike Pence for lunch and whatever else. Then there's this schedule, the schedules that we've been receiving privately from some of our sources. It's that it's a much more filled out schedule. So that's like the second tier of what people, and those are people who work within the White House internally. And then there's a third level that we haven't been receiving. It's a more detailed schedule that's kept within a very small, tight circle that typically has maybe an extra one or two meetings a day that could even be scheduled into that executive time. So there's, I'd say that there are about three different types of schedule. And the one that we were able to, the ones that we were able to publish are that second tier. How has he compared with uh, past presidents? Uh, I know uh, you started to mention a little bit earlier, but um, he still does wake up early. Then he has this unstructured time. I know with George W. Bush, uh, his schedulers broke his days down in a 10 minute increments. We spoke with former top aides, presidents, Barack Obama, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton, the three presidents prior to President Trump. That's exactly right. So the president Trump has the least in common with George W. Bush. So George W. Bush was super tightly scheduled, and he had his meetings booked out months in advance. Uh, and he'd normally wake up around 5.15 a.m., have coffee with his wife, and then he'd be down in the Oval Office by 6.45 a.m., and throughout the day, he'd be on a very tight schedule. And unlike this president, where oftentimes he runs over in his meetings, George W. Bush, if he was running over, they would try to schedule that person for a follow-up meeting. And then we'd say the next president, let's say Barack Obama, he's similarly disciplined to George W. Bush. You know, he typically have a ton of meetings during the day that were also tightly scheduled, but he was a little bit more relaxed and he wasn't as scheduled months in advance as George W. Bush was. And then we found that I'd say Bill Clinton is probably the most similar, at least with his schedule, as it is to President Trump. It was a little bit more undisciplined than what we've seen typically from most presidents. Well, I'm sure the White House is going to be looking uh, very closely as to who could have leaked all this stuff. So we'll see if anything comes out of that. Elena Train, White House reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. These cancers are colorectal, endometrial, pancreatic, gallbladder cancers, and then also multiple myeloma, which is a cancer of your bone marrow. And most of these cancers, just like you said, Oscar, have traditionally shown up in patients later in life, like in their 60s and in their 70s. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. We got a little bit of a health update. One concerns cancer. The other one concerns food allergies. We'll start with the cancer study. Some cancers are rising in millennials and researchers and doctors think that obesity might be the cause for that. Doctors have noticed an increase in six different kinds of cancers that usually affect people in older age, but they're starting to trend a lot younger. What do we know about this new study, Miranda? Yeah, the study was published and it examined data on 12 obesity-related cancers between 1995 and 2014, as well as 18 common cancers not associated with weight. And what they found was really disturbing, a trend among adults ages 24 to 49, so millennials, like you said. They said that the cancer is increasing in young adults for half of the obesity related cancers, and that's steeper as you get younger. These cancers are colorectal, endometrial, pancreatic, gallbladder cancers, and then also multiple myeloma, which is a cancer of your bone marrow. And most of these cancers, just like you said, Oscar, have traditionally shown up in patients later in life, like in their 60s and in their 70s. And they're saying that they believe it's because of diet and the way that the fat cells process excess calories. 
Yeah, I just went through something with a friend of mine who was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and all throughout the diagnosis and kind of learning about it. Yeah, we learned that it does affect people older. He did have a problem when he was younger with obesity. So seeing this study come out confirms a lot of those notions. What is it specifically about the fat cells in a person's body that uh, contributes to getting cancer? They're saying that the fat cells do more than store excess calories in the body. They release this hormone like fatty acids and proteins, and that'll affect your metabolism, your body weight, and your reproductive functions. Science is still trying to figure out how they correlate to certain cancers, but they believe that that's the theory is that these hormones are generating the cancer cells. Yeah. And once again, you know, this is a call to limit obesity rates in younger kids because it changes the whole thing about cute chubby babies when you can use to say oh cute chubby baby don't worry they'll grow out of it but little by little we're learning that even from a very young age the damage can start to take place in such a young body. Well, they say that the link between that, the type 2 diabetes link, it's not just the cancer thing, but they said that obesity rates are rising across age groups for years. And according to the latest federal numbers, almost 36% of Americans aged 20 to 40 are obese, and that number might be higher. And research also suggests that if these obesity trends continue the way that they are, more than half of the kids in the U.S. will be obese by the time they turn 35. Yeah, it's really amazing. And this is not a body shaming type thing. or It's just something to keep in mind how being overweight and things like that really do affect your health in the years to come. And these rising cancer rates for these obesity-related cancers is just kind of a sign there. The other health update that we had is that doctors are surprised by the scope of adult-onset food allergies they're seeing that more adults are getting developing food allergies when they're adults instead of when they're children. It's more common for kids to get allergy panel testing. I just I have a daughter, she's two, and recently her doctor suggested we do that to see what's going on with her. And I thought back, I've never been asked to do one myself. And it's interesting because, you know, you think that adults should get this done every now and then too. And that's actually what the point of this is, is adults should get food allergies tested because you never know. There's this woman who's 51 years old. She's never been allergic to anything. And all of a sudden she developed an allergy to peanuts, tree nuts, and soybeans. She got incredibly sick after eating something she'd enjoyed for years and years and years. She developed that at age 42. Now just imagine going through your whole life, not being allergic to this stuff, eating whatever you want. And then at 42 years of age, now you're now you have this food allergy. It really changes your whole diet and and you have to watch what you're going to be eating. There was a study published in January that found that 10.8% of U.S. adults, that's more than 26 million people, have a food allergy. And about half of those people developed a new food allergy as an adult. Yeah, it's weird because nobody really knows exactly what leads to a food allergy. There's uh, theories that say increasing use of antibiotics could be a problem. The rising rates of C-sections because it affects the microbiome of babies. You know, they're in nice sterile environment in there. And then when you do the C-section, you open them up to a bunch of crazy stuff. Also, increasingly sterile environments basically we're not being exposed to other forms of bacteria and developing immunities and things to that. And there's a spectrum as far as what your symptoms are going to be after suffering from a food allergy. So it could be something as simple as an upset stomach to as serious as your throat completely closes up. Miranda, you have a food allergy. I do. I'm allergic to tropical fruits. So that's like pineapple, mango, papaya, you said? All those those tropical fruits I can't have. Have you ever started feeling the effects and use an EpiPen? I never had to use an EpiPen, but I have had to like crunch up a bunch of Benadryl and basically like take it in powder form to get it in my system immediately because I didn't know how severe it was. And I was in Hawaii and ate 
some mango bread that was very fresh. Someone told me just to eat it and said that there was nothing weird in it. And of course, we're <laughs> Don't like ever trust people. on the side of the road on a dirt canyon. Food allergies increasing and cancers fueled by obesity also on the rise. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.